Hi everyone. So today we chat with the inspirational Hannah Miley. Hannah is predominantly a 200 and 400 metre individual medley swimmer for Scotland and Great Britain. However, she's achieved fantastic results in numerous other events too. She became known as the darling of Scottish swimming and also became Scottish Sports Person of the Year in 2010 after becoming Commonwealth Champion in the 400am at her second Commonwealth Games. Along with having competed in four Commonwealth Games, she's achieved numerous world and European medals and remains British record holder in the 400am. She is a triple Olympian and after a sixth place finish in Beijing, a fifth place finish in London and an agonisingly close fourth place finish in Rio, she has her sights firmly set on Tokyo. Today we talk with her about her career highs, her Olympic journey and how she's dealt with that fourth place result in Rio and how talking to the media after races like this takes so much composure. Swimming really is a family pursuit for Hannah. With her dad, Patrick, being her coach, we talked to her about how this dynamic works so well for them. Thank you for listening today, guys. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. So today we've got Hannah Miley with us. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? Very well, thank you. Yeah, very well. Yeah, very well. Thanks, Anna. Cheers for joining us today. Appreciate it. So, how are you keeping? How are we finding lockdown and these strange times we find ourselves in? <laughs> yeah, it has been very, very strange. If you can hear this bouncing noise, my puppy at the moment's got a Kong that she can't get the last bit of food out, so she's throwing <laughs> it on the floor. <laughs> so, the lockdown's been good and kind of tricky at the same time it's probably more the emotional side that's been really really tough um i'm kind of trying to find different things to keep myself busy uh like using my puppy to kind of distract me and give me something positive to work towards um and yeah it's, it's been strange it's definitely a, a year that everyone's probably going to remember but maybe not for the reasons that we would like to have remembered it by you know it was supposed to be the olympics and a lot of big sporting events but um we're not in control of it so I think we can oh, we can only focus on the things that we can control so at the moment I've tried to do as much as I can on land <laughs> mm. being a swimmer trying to do land work is always interesting um <laughs> and yeah and just try to think outside the box a little bit and try and find ways to keep myself motivated because motivation's been I think the biggest factor a lot of people have struggled with um so just try to find ways to help out you know setting challenges or um putting up funny videos of my puppy um just any way to kind of help people out how old is your puppy? She's eight months. Okay. <laughs> so you've been doing a bit of training, yeah. have you? Yeah, I've been doing little bits. So I can teach her to sit. Uh, she gives paw. She's coming into the picture a little bit. Um, she can give her paw, left, left paw and right paw. And um, I also taught her how to pack my swimming bag. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I would recommend it though. She's better at unpacking than packing. So. <laughs> I can imagine. So with, with the situation, like you say, it is difficult for a lot, a lot of reasons. But do you see kind of benefits of it coming out the other side? Do you see kind of positives that can come from it? Yeah, hugely. So I guess from a personal point of view, I've had a couple of niggles uh, with my shoulder and with my ankles. So it's actually given me a chance to properly focus on the rehab work. Uh, I, I do rehab work when I'm involved in swimming, but sometimes the swimming takes obviously priority over that. So now that the swimming's not involved, it means I can really heavily focus in on the rehab work and focus a little bit more on pre-pool and just trying to find little things that when I don't have swimming, because at some point my career will have to finish, 
it's where do I want to go with it? So it's given me an opportunity to try and work out where my strengths and weaknesses are in that sort of sense. And if there's any particular direction that I feel more drawn towards. Um, and it's also given me a chance to properly look back at my swimming career and look at it and kind of analyze it, I guess, and just find out areas that if I, when I get back in the pool, I can really focus in on bits that I enjoyed, bits that I need more work with and just kind of try to view it more as an opportunity for things that I can improve on instead of sitting feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like a great plan really. And, you know, hopefully lots of people have been trying to do a similar kind of thing. I mean, and what you say you've tried to think about kind of what your, your strengths and that are or where your interests might lie after swimming. What have you come up with? Um, I really, I'm quite fascinated with how the human body moves. So I uh, am becoming a Pilates teacher. So I've been kind of building up my hours, doing some teaching classes, uh, some with, you know, some swimming clubs, uh, some with my own teammates as well. Um, and using my fiance as well as a guinea pig. Uh, so just kind of going through the process of that and just understanding the way that the body moves and how you can help support it. So different body posture types, ones that swimmers tend to fall into a lot more like rounded upper body, sort of curved lower back exercises to kind of help support it. So that right. <laughs> Amy's sitting up tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm deliberately trying not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my posture is not good. So it's kind of given me a chance to work on my own posture. Um, so yes, I really find that quite fascinating and just finding exercises that, don't require gym and heavy lifting. Obviously being able to be in the gym is great. It's good to be strong and powerful, but um, I do think sometimes the smaller muscle groups do tend to get overlooked and posture-based work as well. I think it's really good for improving your strength and also helping support your body weight when you're in gym. Because uh, if, you, if you've got bad posture, you might not be firing up the right muscle groups. You put loading in areas that shouldn't be loaded up uh, and there's a higher risk for injury. So it, for me, I kind of find Pilates work and that type of stuff, the glue that holds swimming and land training together. Um, so it's stuff you can do in pre-pull, post-pull, or just mobility sessions you know, as and when throughout the week. Um, so I've really enjoyed looking at that, you know, finding some people I like to follow on Instagram, uh, researching some uh, workouts and exercise routines and trying them out myself. Um, going from like no equipment to then using TheraBands, foam rollers, sort of typical stuff that swimmers will possibly have in their uh, kit bags. Um, so yes, I've really kind of enjoyed just becoming more of a student of the human body and how it moves. Yeah. Is this something that's already been part of your program then, Pilates and stuff, you're just taking it further or have you been doing it for a long time? Like, Yeah, I, uh, when I was 14, it was probably when I first started do, uh, kind of working with my physio for Pilates and I've kind of grown and developed a, a good relationship with my physio. Not, she's no longer my physio and I now have a new physio and again, we're kind of developing different things. So I have had physio, sorry, Pilates for quite some time in my career and it's... Um, for me, it's worked a lot because I'm not a big athlete. I'm not hugely strong. So I've kind of had to find ways to help support my body. And I kind of pride myself in that. Yeah, I've had a couple of niggles and injuries, but nothing all bar the one. I think in 2018, that's really kept me out of the water. Um, and I do put that down to Pilates work and, and kind of work in the small muscle groups. And um, it's kind of helped keep me uh, majorly injury free. Um, touch with yeah yeah i mean it's that pre-pool and post-pool that i think gets wow. forgotten sorry so often and even if it's like sort of 10 minutes before and after it's still going to be of massive benefit like as a, a protective 
kind of um, a protective thing, really. So, yeah, it is so important. And I think that's great. <laughs> You've got a friend. Um, I think that's great Hello. that you kind of following that on as well, because you found it so helpful in your career. I mean, you, you said about that one injury, which was your ankle, wasn't it, I think? So what, what injury did you have? Did, yeah. did you injure it? Was it repetitive, um, strain stuff? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm sorry, it's her dinner time. So she's just kind of like, hello, but oh, she's got an hour to wait for it. <laughs> she's doing that thing where she's pushing her luck. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I kind of did something to my ankles, uh, my ankle, my left, my left ankle, Christmas time 2016. And it kind of settled out, but not quite. I had then um, some surgery on it in 2018 and they found that I completely frayed the ligaments and it was completely useless and that was what was giving me uh, some uh, pain when I was trying to kick right. um, so they cut it out because apparently it was an extra ligament so a bit like a spare tire so I damaged my spare tire in my ankle um, so yeah so it's really hard to kind of describe it but I in short I, I basically had uh, frayed or just worn away one of my ligaments um, I've incredibly floppy ankles like I can trip over on a flat floor I go over my ankle and I don't like I don't seem to sprain it but this one particular time uh, ironically I was swimming I just did a fly kick and just something went pink in my ankle which wasn't ideal um, so I had surgery on it to kind of get that sorted and it's amazing how even though they try to make it as non-invasive as possible you still have that change within your ankle so I had a lot of uh, stiffness um, a lot of the scarring kind of reduced my range of movement uh, and for me I do f notice these subtle little things so I wasn't able to get um, like my toe to the floor my right foot can I can touch the floor of my toes but my left foot was nowhere near it um, so really took a long time to try and get that range back into it um, so yeah so it's just kind of typical wear and tear sort of stuff uh, I guess at the age of I was 29 at the time, so <laughs> kind of done all right to survive not having any surgery until that point. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, like you've sort of alluded to there, you, you've had a really long career. Can you give us a little bit of background on, on your career, kind of where you've started off, the fact that your dad has been your coach for a long time as well? Yeah, so he taught me how to swim when I was quite young, um, pretty much, I guess, from a fetus. Um, <laughs> it was purely from a safety point of view. <laughs> um, he taught me I think it was when I was three he taught me how to swim backstroke and he was always fascinated I think with uh, babies and water and um, and for him as well swimming was a huge passion for him so I think he wanted to make sure that I could swim and be quite content and safe around water and he did the same for my brothers um, I joined my first swimming club Geary when I was six and I started racing for them around that time and uh, I, I was part of Geary right up until I was 27 um, so very much of a, a diehard Geary athlete <laughs> <laughs> and yeah as a youngster I kind of wasn't really that into swimming I loved swimming I loved being able to go uh, but my competitive nature was that if I went to a lane swimming session with my dad I had to do more lengths than him um, and he would always stop to try and get me to do technique work and it was really heavily focused on technique and I would always do that thing coming in where I would come into the wall pretend I was about to touch and finish and then it'd be like oh psych and I'd tumble turn and push off and do another two lengths <laughs> and it was like yes I've done more so that was just kind of my strange sort of mental uh, view on it and I just enjoy the racing. I always love trying to prove myself. So even from a youngster, I kind of knew I was a little bit smaller and a bit more scrawny compared to some of the other swimmers. But I loved being just as quick as some of the bigger guys and trying to chase them down. So it was kind of that underdog feel of I'm sort of small and unassuming, but 
you kind of feel like, well, hang on, I'm going to try and take you on. You might be twice the size of me, but I'm going to you know, watch me. <laughs> um, and that was just kind of how I approached it all the time. And sometimes it would get me into trouble at school because I'd try and pick fights with some of the boys at school. And I think it was just to <laughs> prove that I was just as good. <laughs> Not that I was in trouble all the time. I hate getting into trouble, but at the same time, I just wanted to, you know, show the boys that I was, you know, just as strong. I might be small and unassuming, but, you know, don't pick a fight with me kind of thing. Um, I really can't see you picking a fight. I can't imagine having a fight. A lot of people can't. (laughs) I know, a lot of people can't. But it's, um, yeah, that was just how I viewed things. And I I just, I love being different. I love the fact that I could turn up to school with wet hair and nobody else did. And for me, I was not fussed about putting makeup on or drying my hair off because I felt, well, this is me. <laughs> what you see is what you get. I'm strangly yeah. with wet hair, goggle mark, cat line. And yeah, I can tidy myself up later on. But what you're getting right now is just me post swimming. And I got, I, I you know, made a couple of friends and they are pretty much friends for life because I think they just took me as I was. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had other really good interests in other uh, activities like music and drama. And uh, they kind of then had a, an understanding as to the importance for my swimming because they pretty much viewed their other activities just as much as I viewed my swimming. Um, then when I was about 12 or 13, uh, I kind of started realizing, oh, I'm actually not too bad. I've made times for going down to British, I think it was called the Bag Cats, the British age group category yeah. competition. We drove down from Inverurie to Sheffield, which was like a nine hour trip. First race I qualified for when I was, uh, I think like 11, it was a 200 butterfly. And I swam pants, I put <laughs> seconds on. I was terrified, the pool was massive. I'd never seen, I raced in Glasgow, but at the time Glasgow was a bit more compact. They didn't have the extra stand or the extra pool. Mm-hmm. And it it felt very familiar, but coming down to racing in England and in Ponds Forge, I absolutely wet myself. It was terrifying. <laughs> and then I kind of realized I need to really sort myself out if I want to swim better. So each year I always find my first swim was not so good. And then it got better as I went on. Um, then I tried to tr- target a uh, European Youth Olympic Festival. And I just missed the qualifying times for that. Then the next target was European Juniors. And again, I just missed it in my first year. And we could only qualify when you were 15 or 16. I think now they've changed the rules and you can go up to 17, I think, for girls. And I was in my 16th year. So I was still 15. But after that year, I wouldn't be able to qualify for European Juniors. And I managed to make it. And then racing for GB for the first time. And I was 2005 at the European Junior Champs in Budapest. And I loved it. I, I loved the atmosphere. It was your know, first time racing outdoors. and having the team behind me and we actually found the uh my dad had the video recording of my swim and I was racing against Kitinka Hosu Nate Lane next to each other for the heats the finals and I got silver behind her and it was just so cool being able to now watch it back uh but that was pretty much where it kind of kicked off and then I qualified for the my first commie games in 2006 and then I kind of thought right well I'm doing my hires I was trying to fit in racing and finishing off my hires uh, or I think is that A levels as well. Um, yeah, trying to think the Scottish system is a little yeah. bit different. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just kind of thought, you know what, I can study until I'm 99, but I can't necessarily swim at this level until I'm, you know, at the age of 99. Uh, obviously, you know, I can with the master's level, but the view that I had was if I wanted to take swimming to where I'd like to take it, I need to focus in a little bit more on it. So from the commie games, I kind of thought, well, let's just see how far I can take it. <laughs> 
<laughs> let's see how far i can take it uh and yeah and to be fair i never really thought i could make the olympic games it wasn't until i guess i missed qualifying for the world championships in 2006 that i then realized right i don't want that to ever happen to me ever again um so it kind of gave me a kick up the butt that you know you can't take things for granted you have to stick with it and yeah i learned a huge amount from that and yeah, and then 2008, I qualified for my first Olympic Games. Um, so yeah, so it was pretty cool kind of going from there. And just every year, I've tried to do something a little bit different. I always do each year. What are you on about? Just cheering you yeah, on. Yeah, and it just kind of took off. Yeah. <laughs> you probably need to interview Poppy. Um, yeah, it just kind of took off from there. And I just love the whole Olympic experience. And after 2008, I felt, right, I've got another four years to improve, try and see if I can go for London to make a home Olympic Games would be awesome. And to race in London was fantastic. The crowd just, oh, you, you know, having the headphones on, didn't matter what music you were listening to, you couldn't hear it because the crowd was so loud. And you just feel very privileged as, as an athlete to be able to represent your country on home soil. Yeah. And then going again, racing in Rio, uh, as bittersweet as it was, it was probably one of my biggest learning curves. And at the time, you know, coming forth by 1500 hundredths of a second might have been absolutely devastating. And it was at the same time, but I've been able to kind of view it in slightly more differently. And actually, each one has taught me a lesson. And I do feel that I'm so much more better from these lessons I've had from the experience as an elite athlete. Um, so hopefully once I do finish my career, I can kind of go on into the real world and be a bit more stronger than I think I initially thought I could be. Definitely, yeah, totally agree. I mean, like you said, it's a, it's a roller coaster, isn't it? Everyone's career is a bit of a roller coaster to some extent. I think that that needs to be expected. It's not linear progression at all. And like you say, you have your ups and you have your downs. But your career has been so long and so successful. We've spoken a little bit about like how how physically you keep yourself. Um, in a good place with you you're doing your Pilates to keep yourself from injury and things like that how about mentally so you know how how have you kind of kept yourself at that high elite performing level for for many years performing yeah. some great performances and like how how do you see yourself continuing as well past Tokyo um I genuinely don't know whether I get it right or not. Um, I just kind of do what I feels right. Um, and I do what I feel works best for me. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, sometimes I feel really on it. I think the one time I, even my dad remembers it, was qualifying for the uh, 2008 Games in Sheffield. I had my hoodie up and I just wasn't taking him on at all because I thought I knew what I want to do. I don't want him telling me what to do. And I think he tried to nudge me to say, look, you need to go to the call room. And uh, he kind of always never forgets the face I gave him. I think I gave him one of the dirtiest looks ever as if to say, leave me alone, I've got this. <laughs> and I just, and even still like trying to think back how I got into that zone, I don't quite know. It just happened quite instinctively. And sometimes when you get moments like that, it's difficult. You can't force yourself to get into that. Um, and I do feel, I do wear my heart on my sleeve. So I get very emotional. There's a couple of games as well where, or competitions, if I feel like I've not performed or I feel like I failed somebody, I can get quite upset and emotional. And it's all a learning curve because you just want to, you work so hard for something and you just want to do well. You just want it to all align right. So the one thing that I have learned is trying to minimize distractions as much as you can. So competitions, I try and 
I, I delete my social media apps. I give my username and password to my management company so they can look at. And I avoid looking or kind of re you know, Googling your name uh, during competitions. It's obviously very tempting to see what people are writing about you, but it doesn't matter how many positive posts are put up about you. All it takes is just that one negative one and it can really unravel you. So to try and protect myself, I you know, make myself a rule and do that leading into major meets. Um, how long have you been I, doing I that do for? Uh, since 2012, uh, cause I didn't, well, I didn't really have a mobile phone that kind of worked with apps <laughs> in 2008. <laughs> I had a laptop, but even still, but Facebook really wasn't kind of the main thing. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, from 2012, it was, we were kind of advised to do that. And, or I was given advice from some of the guys up in Scotland cause we, it was weird actually going into 2012, the, whilst it was a home games, the media wise didn't really reach us as much in Scotland. It was almost like, yeah, it's the home games, but I stand in England. It's fine. <laughs> so it wasn't until you actually got down to, yeah, it wasn't actually until you got down to London that you realized the impact because it was everywhere. The newspapers, the billboards, like, you know, all the adverts on TV. Um, it's very different from well, what you sometimes get up in Scotland. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I kind of thought that it was actually quite important to maybe avoid that because I was in this little bubble up in the Northeast and then suddenly you're thrown in the thick of it and everyone wants to know, you know, what you are and, one of the things with my name is a lot of, it seems to confuse a lot of people from america apparently um a lot of people from <laughs> hannah montana my Irish fans get very excited if my name starts trending because they think hannah montana's coming back oh no wait it's a swimmer because i think it was myself and another girl called regina george who is in athletics and <laughs> it just went nuts so i was kind of glad that i wasn't looking at my twitter feed then because apparently it was really weird <laughs> oh, wow. um, so there's little things like that that you know you, you just want to try and keep yourself in the zone and keep yourself in that bubble as much as you can um and yeah there's times where i do struggle and little things like writing a column uh, sorry two columns of what you can control and what you can't control and just reaffirm that the stuff that you can't control shouldn't be something that you worry about because there's nothing you can do so writing it down reaffirms these are things i can't control so you can then park it and leave it and then focus in on that list that you can control so that's really helped me go through major meets if i do get moments where i panic or feel quite nervous um and i always feel as well as i get older the way i view things change sometimes i can take things in my stride other times i suddenly overreact or overthink to things so it's always a balancing act on trying to adapt my mental strategies and sort of psychological well-being um, so speaking to a sports psychologist helps i'm very bad sometimes at bottling things up and that doesn't help because it just sits and festers so i've learned to um, be a bit more open and speak uh, speak out to my dad my coach speak out to my friends speak out to my sports psychologist um, just to make sure that I don't internalize a lot of things uh, because that's when I can be my own worst enemy sometimes uh, and learn to be a bit kinder to myself because I think as an athlete as well we can be very harsh on ourselves we never feel that we're good enough and sometimes we do need to take a step and look back and actually realize no we are worthy enough and we are good uh, mm. you know be kind look after your head because your head will uh, you know ultimately you can break your body if your mind's not in the right place yeah definitely I think sometimes with that be kind it's kind of accepting the wins and celebrating them a little bit as well at the right time obviously but I think sometimes you're so focused on having a goal the next goal the next goal the next goal and you, you might have a great success and you never actually sit back and appreciate it very much because you're so focused on the next thing so I think sometimes that is part of the being kind to yourself as an athlete isn't it I remember yeah, uh, 
leading into, uh, I think, in the 2012 Olympics, you, you stood up and you told the team a little bit about your mental preparation, because obviously, even at that stage, you were still you were pretty experienced, you'd already been to Beijing and all that, um, and you were telling us about your preparation, your mindset, heading into race day, and there was so like, I think it was like, the, I don't know if you started the week before or a few days out, and you were going through how you, you'd visualize the race, and then you'd put your this with your bag, like, Poppy weren't packing your bag for you back then. You to, <laughs> it was like all these little bits. And it was, there's loads and loads of stuff. Like, you, I thought, God, can you think about every tiny little detail? But when you finished, me and Tankot looked at each other and were like, do you do any of that? We were like, no, are we? <laughs> We just go, <laughs> but the level of detail you went into, I was like, wow, she's taking this to a different level here. You know, there's not winging it. It's not happening by chance. No. All, all planned out. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just show, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes that's a good thing, but then sometimes that can be too much because you can then over-focus and be too engrossed in the detail and then lose sight of the main thing, which is being a happy, relaxed swimmer. Yeah. and just let things happen um so yeah it's kind of being a bit too controlling and then learning to actually just relax and let it you know let it go i think the important thing is to realize that everyone's different with that so there is no right way so some people will want more control over what they're doing and like more um sort of centralized focus and others will just want to go with the flow and either way is absolutely fine as long as you kind of practice and realize what's best for you as an athlete yeah, yeah. what is that really yeah. like being coached by your dad especially from like you say such a young age has he been your coach almost the whole way through yeah. your career yeah yeah he has pretty much and to be fair i've not really <laughs> known it any other way so for me it just feels completely normal um, I have a huge amount of respect for him because, well, to start with, being able, if we had any disagreements, there was no way I was going to win an argument when it came to swimming. He just knew too much, and I knew I knew nothing. <laughs> so there was just, it was just a non-starter. Um, you know, even before he focused in on coaching me, he developed a device called an Aquapacer, and he got to travel the world working with a lot of Olympic athletes, um, world medalists, sort of world record holders, Olympic medalists. Um, so we worked with like Ian Thorpe, Rick Bennett, Paul Palmer, and uh, I think there was a statistic at the 2000 Olympic Games, and one in every three um, gold medalists had actually used the device. Wow. So yeah, so he, he knew quite a fair bit, and he was yeah. heavily involved in swimming long before I came along. So yeah, the, I, I kind of had a lot of respect for him on that side, where it was like, yeah, you know what you're talking about, so I can't really <laughs> argue. But at the same time, um, he gave me a lot of respect in return. So he wasn't a full-time coach he was juggling that with flying helicopters mm -hmm. so when he was working in the morning if it meant that he couldn't coach he would write the session out hand it over to me and then I would take it to the pool there was a volunteer parent who was coaching that session would then write it up and follow it and uh, you know, we follow it through uh, and we make note of the times and I would text it to him or email it to him whichever access to um, whichever he was able to get access to when he was on an oil rig and then based on that he would then script my afternoon session and normally my afternoon sessions i did do on my own so off the back of school i would go into a lane swimming session have a lane to myself or in a public session i then had half a lane put in for me um or when i was at uni sorry, university there was a pool at the university i was at and then i would just have a lane there at some time during the public session and he would trust that i would get the session done 
and if there was any timing required, I had to self-time. So either using the analog clock and try and roughly work out my time, ask, uh, take a stopwatch with me and ask maybe a lifeguard. They were normally petrified to do it. <laughs> um, or if my mum wasn't working, she would come and uh, time it for me. So he had to respect and trust that I would do that. So I think the balance of that trust and respect on both sides kind of allowed us to work that relationship really well. And yeah, sometimes we had fallouts, but I think every relationship is important to have those fallouts to then be able to balance it out because everyone's entitled to their own opinion and it's important to listen to the other person, whether you agree or disagree with that opinion. Um, so we've both kind of developed and grown as individuals. And I think now, um, the relationship works really well. Uh, I guess I'm a lot older and I can have a bit more of a say in what I want to do. Whereas a youngster, I was very good at doing what I was told. Uh, and he was always pushing to try and make sure that I was an independent swimmer. Um, so yeah, so it's definitely been a relationship that I guess some people might think is strange or odd, but for me, I've not known it any other way. And I always felt, you know, why try and fix something that's not broke? Uh, you know, I'm with someone who really understands and knows me as a person, knows how my body works. Um, at the time when I was living at home, he knew whether I was tired or grumpy. So uh, if I needed a recovery session, I didn't have to say anything because he just knew. So it, it kind of worked out really well that way. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say it's strange or odd. I'd just say it's impressive to be able to have that, that level of like, yeah, like you say, he sees you at home. So he can see your body language throughout the entire day. It's not like you could fake it when you got to the pool <laughs> and pretend yes. that you were better than you were or worse. Like, so it's very impressive. Maybe yeah. Especially like like you say, early stages of learning, you just do what your coach tells you, whether it's your dad, your parent or not, you just do what you're told. And then you get to around that teenage stage and you think you know everything, even though you don't know much. So it's going to be quite difficult for your dad to balance. And as you get into an older athlete, you're going to have your yeah. experience, your own knowledge. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic to work, work all that out. Yeah. So and he's a brilliant teacher sorry i was gonna say he's also really good at teaching us so all the swimmers you know he really drills into you know the energy systems we know the set if it's going to be an lactic set an anaerobic set threshold all the different heart rate markers and what the set entails the rest intervals so he knew that if he wasn't there because of flying and for some reason wasn't able to write a session he could say, right, you're going to do a threshold set. We could then create the session. So he was kind of teaching us to have that understanding within swimming. So we didn't always have to rely on the coach to tell us what to do. We could kind of have our own understanding and guess we know our own bodies. So if we felt like actually, no, I feel threshold would be better instead of field two or vice versa. We want recovery. Obviously some swimmers took it to extreme and feel like, no, no, we want recovery, not VO2. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, yeah it, it's a really cool dynamic, actually. And for me, I really love being able to travel the world with them and be on teams with them because I feel it's my way of being able to give back as a, as a show of thanks to try and perform and showcase the hard work and effort that he's put in. Because I still, to this day, don't really know how he managed both flying and coaching. Some days he would turn up on poolside still in his, you know, still in his uniform with his shirt, his bars, and um, he's not been able to change out his pilot's outfit and he's sweating on poolside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's probably a bit warm for poolside that as well isn't it <laughs> just a little bit warm <laughs> that's really interesting that um he was sort of building that that level of trust in you guys as athletes that you were all you were writing your own sessions because swimming i feel traditionally even at elite level is a little bit like dictated by the coaches There's not many programs where the athletes have that much impact or like write their own sessions for them choose their own dictate you feel like that's helped you have a lengthen out your career is that has that been a positive for you guys 
Yeah, I think so, because it just made it, I guess, different um, because we felt we were able to have a say in a session or have an input in it. So it kind of made us feel a bit more involved. Um, and yeah, and I think sometimes the easier option would be to have it written for us so then we can kind of, you, you don't have to think too much, you can just go into it. Because trying to write sessions, you then have a better understanding actually as to how difficult it sometimes can be, especially when you've got a large group and you've got to cater for the sprinters, middle distance, distance, those who are breaststroke specialists, those who are fly specialists. There's so many things to juggle. So it kind of does, he, he was very keen for us to you know, fully appreciate that it's, coaching is more than just start, stop on a stopwatch. Um, so I think in that sort of sense, it just gives you a bit more sense of ownership because at the end of the day, we are the ones who get in and swim. And if you're constantly being told what to do, you know, when it comes to a performance, whether you're happy or unhappy with it, um, you have to put your hands up and take responsibility for what you do. Uh, so if we were, you know, lucky enough to be able to write our own session sometimes, um, you know, you genuinely have to say, well, could I have written that set better? Could I have maybe done it a bit harder or should I have done that? So it just gives you that bit more ownership and understanding that you are responsible for your swimming. It's not you know, your coach's fault. It's not your parents' fault. Yeah. It's you. Um, yeah, it's yeah. So you sort of mentioned earlier about Rio. It was, being, it was a bit of a bittersweet sort of meet for you. That agonizing fourth place by such a small margin. Was it 1,500 to the second you said? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, I actually, yeah. <laughs> it's right. No, sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. I mean, that was an amazing swim. Like, it was an amazing performance. To kind of see that on the board must have been pretty difficult to take. I mean, how did you get your head around that and then kind of get back on the train and, and keep going and change your goal ready for the next one? I was screaming at the TV. Yeah, I was, was screaming at I remember it. It's so close. <laughs> Uh, you and Belmont. Yeah, I know. Of course, that finish. Um, yeah. I know. I, yeah. Coming into that last 100, I knew I had to, if I wanted to be on the podium, I knew Maria's got such a strong freestyle. She is, uh, you know, uh, she's won medals at London uh, in the 83. So her freestyle is very, very strong. And I had to be a certain distance ahead of her in order to try and stay in front of her if I was at getting a shot or any chance of being on the podium. And I do remember on that last 50 where I couldn't really see anybody else, but I was very aware because I was right next to her and I could just see her coming back at me and my lungs and arms were just screaming so much. And I think 15, 10 to 15 minutes to go, I was like, I'm not breathing into the wall. So I had my head down, lunged for the wall and I literally just, you know, if I could have popped my shoulder out, I would have done just to try and reach the wall. And as soon as I touched it, the first thing you notice, um, when you come first, you have one red light. When you come second, you get two red lights, third, three red lights on the block. So the first thing I did was I looked up at the block and I didn't see any red lights. And then at the corner of my eye, I saw Maria had three lights. So I thought, okay, well, I don't know what place I've come. Maybe there was somebody else on the outside that I didn't see. And then I turned and had a look at the scoreboard. And you're kind of hit instantly with two emotions. The first one was my time. And the time that I did was the fastest I'd ever done at Olympic Games. So for me, I was absolutely buzzing. And then I saw her, I was fourth. And you just think, oh, right, okay, that's not ideal. But, you know, I can't argue the fact that um, that was, you know, a really quick swim. But then when they readjust it and you see first, second, third, fourth, I then realized Maria's time was only 15 hundredths of a second in front. And you just hit in the gut with it. Because you just like, you suddenly start overthinking, thinking, oh, well, what if I'd done this? If I'd done that, would that have made a different outcome? And yeah, I was going through my head over and over again, like, could there have been any other way? 
and you're kind of torn because I've, I've always had the personality or the notoriety of being smiley miley and I thought I really want to just break down and cry but I can't <laughs> I'm about to get interviewed and um the first person I saw in the crowd when I was looking around trying to kind of figure out my emotions was my dad and I could feel myself welling up even then so he put his arms in the air like that and I matched it the same and I instantly felt a bit more reassured because I just felt like he kind of was I don't know it was just kind of I guess that father-daughter link I just knew he was saying it's okay you've done amazing and even though I knew that it was amazing part of me again going back to that being kind to yourself part of me was just beating myself up saying that's not good enough you should have done this you should have done that it should have gone this way and then when I got in front of the camera I knew I didn't want to burst into tears and cry and feel sorry for myself because I felt you know I still have to celebrate it was a great performance I still haven't watched that interview to this day. I do need to sit back and watch it. But the fallout afterwards, I really did struggle to accept it. Um, Part of me still felt like I had the bronze medal and it took me a while to realize. It was almost like going through stages of grief. And I really took a long time to try and come over it. Off the back of Rio, I decided to race at the World Cups. So I raced in France, I raced in Germany, and then I raced in Russia. And um, I pretty much had my nose rubbed in it because I came fourth eight times oh, wow. <laughs> throughout those three competitions. <laughs> and one of which I came fourth in the 400 IM by 15 hundredths of a second. So I had my nose oh. well and truly rubbed in it. And you know, I kind of had to sit back and think, <laughs> I have to get over this. It's not the end of the world. You know, it was almost like fate was telling me being like, you've got to deal with this. So it did take me a long time. I initially would think I've got this, I'm fine. And then as soon as I start talking about it, um, I kind of then realized, no, I'm not, I'm going to start crying. And I think it was just bad, the battle of emotions because it's something that you dream of for so long and you're so close to getting it and it just doesn't quite happen. You then start questioning your self-worth. You then think, well, I'm only worthy if I've got an Olympic medal as an athlete because that's what you aim for. So it took me a while to actually realize that what does swimming mean to me? And it probably wasn't until I actually had my ankle surgery when I had a breakout from swimming where I had to reevaluate my thought process on how I viewed racing. I learned to fall in love swimming with a little bit, uh, a little bit more, um, I was going to say a little bit more respectfully, but that's not the right word. I, I just fell in love with it better. And I understood it a little bit more from, I guess, a more mature perspective that PBs and medals as much as they're amazing, there's more to it than that. It's, it's how you swim the race, the process goals, the little details that you put together, and then the outcome is the outcome. You have no control over the outcome. Again, going back to my, pro, you know, my list of can control and can't control, and the one thing I always forget in the can't control is the outcome. You cannot control where you're placed. If Maria had um, food poisoning, I would have had the bronze medal. But yeah. I can't control what she does. I cannot control my competitors. Mm-hmm. I can only do what I, I can do. And I knew I had nothing left to give. I knew that was the best performance I could possibly have given. So I finally, I think around about 2018, realized and accepted that, that, that thought process and actually kind of realized that fourth place, fourth in the world is not bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not it's actually pretty cool. And I've learned to be a lot more proud of it. And I use it a lot in my talks um, to try and motivate swimmers that you can still be an incredible athlete or, you know, an incredible human being and person with a fourth place finish without having an Olympic medal. It doesn't define who you are as a person. And if anything, it just makes your story a lot more interesting when you're telling people Um, because everyone loves a success story. And sometimes, you know, as Brits, we do love the underdog and, 
I, yeah, I guess the easiest thing would be to just kind of forget it and bury it, but I kind of felt I needed to embrace it and own it and use it to help me. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I mean, it's very rare that people have fairy tale stories, isn't it? So I think, you know, for the majority of people, they're going to have whatever their fourth place at Olympics is in their career at some point. And it's yeah. how you handle it, how you go past it and move on to the next thing that's really important. Yeah. I mean, from... <laughs> So Beijing, your placings essentially in, in Olympics have come down one each time, haven't they? So yeah. <laughs> sixth at Beijing, fifth in London, fourth in Rio. Yeah. Tokyo, come on, well and truly crossed for you. Um, obviously with the change and everything that's kind of happening, you know, how how is that affecting your preparation? I mean, you from what we know you've got wedding plans as well that it might affect i mean yeah. what what's happening with all your plans that are going to have to change with with the with tokyo being moved yeah um they're kind of looking at it financially as well uh weddings are expensive i never realized <laughs> 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 weddings are. <laughs> um and uh and i'm still in rented accommodation my partner and i would love to be able to own our own house that also is also very expensive so uh, yeah. uh and swimming's not really a sport that you can get a lot of money from. So it's trying to find ways of, I guess, trying to find a bit of an income, but still be able to perform because I still feel like I've got something left in me. Um, so yeah, so things have changed. When I found out that uh, Tokyo was going to be delayed, my initial reaction was, okay, well, that's, you know, control it and it's probably the best decision because I think if we're going to be out the water it'd be very unfair for some nations to have a lot more time out of the water and then some nations haven't had time out of the water leading into these games it would just make it such an unfair playing field but there was a part of me that was a little bit gutted because I had everything set up for this year kind of you know what's going to happen after September after September as I say the wedding plans are kind of coming into effect and now it's kind of like now what and I've kind of learned to step back a little bit you know you can't control everything these things you know come through to try and test us i guess and you know we talk about resiliency a lot in swimming and, and, and as an athlete and i think resiliency is only shown in moments of when it tests us and this is certainly a time where resiliency is going to be tested so i kind of feel i've had to allow myself mentally to just sit in a bit of a fog uh, and allow myself a bit of time to just take each day as it comes um it's okay to kind of feel a little bit muddled and a little bit unsure with what's happening but at some point I know I will get married at some point I know I will get a house and at some point I know that swimming will finish for me and whilst I don't have an exact date and time for all of those things it's fine I can actually just keep taking each day as it comes make sure that I keep myself moving forward feel like I'm doing something for my swimming make sure that I'm doing something you know in the spare time I can sit on Pinterest and look at things and that kind of keeps me entertained but yeah, it's been a tricky one with the year kind of being taken up. But the main thing that's kind of shown is, you know, the power of making sure you've got your health. Uh, for me with our family as well, we had a little bit of a, a tough time at the start of lockdown with um, my granddad and things are looking a little bit better just now. But for me, health was definitely the most important thing. Um, so, yes, I've not really fully answered your question because I guess in all hindsight, I don't really know what the future holds. I'm just kind of taking each day as it comes and just making sure that mentally I'm ready for it, whatever it's thrown at me, because it's yeah, going to go either way. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I really hope your granddad's okay. Um, Cause like yeah. health is the most important thing. And like you say, sometimes you have to just 
sort of step back from step swimming and realize it's not the end of the world if, if things don't go your way in the pool one day you know there's there is more important things so you've got to put things in perspective so yeah i, I think yeah. it must be a granddad well. yeah i mean that's I, I like the idea that you like control the controllables and then you outcome at your races and stuff like that whether olympics actually go ahead this year or not <laughs> everything you can't do anything about that and we've always used you as an example actually so like I'm sure you probably get this quote quite a lot, but, um, oh, my, my kid's too small to swim, right? Or, you know, I'm not very big and all that. But, like, you'd be explaining to yourself, like, Susanna Yakobos, who's, like, what, six foot one, and Katinka Hosman. Yeah, who's really built. Yeah, yeah. big, strong yeah. girls. Like, you know, and then we've got a great photo that we used of you once before, actually. I don't know whether it's Europeans or Worlds. You're on the podium too much, Hannah. But, uh, <laughs> you're girls. <laughs> like half a foot shorter than anybody and like you're up there on the podium you know just showing and you've explained like your pilates you've explained that like your technique was really important and that kind of dedication like training on your own in half a lane and scaring a lifeguard into timing you and all that sort of stuff that just shows that what how you managed to do what you've been able to do so yeah i, feel, I always feel like you're a fantastic example of a lot of things like i've been able to have a long career as well and how to do that and then overcome those like those hitting hits in the gut like you said at Rio so yeah thank you for coming and uh, giving us your time and what I did like as well is they come and like suddenly give you a bit of fuss when you were talking about Rio it was like she knew too yeah. <laughs> she knew you needed a little bit you want to come and say hi she's yeah. there again look hi Poppy no you want to say hi <laughs> Yeah, she's not fussed. No, she's not fussed. Yeah, she's not fussed. <laughs> but yeah, right, thank, thank you, you so much. much. You've got a hard out because uh, you've got a, you're in demand. People want to speak to you. So, uh, but yeah, that's uh, thank you so much for coming thank on today. Yeah. Really, really. No worries. Uh, Been yeah. lovely to catch up. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so nice to catch up with you guys. <laughs> Where can people follow you, Hannah? I know you. you be on your social media now it's just at the games that you, you turn it off <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know my secrets now <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you're, on, you're on instagram you're on uh twitter or facebook do you have a web page that people can follow or? in the process of doing a web page uh sorry i'm still trying to get the hang of it <laughs> in all honesty i don't really know what i'm doing every now and then on instagram i'm like oh i like this picture let's put it up there <laughs> um and then Twitter sometimes is more of a, I'm stuck with this. Can somebody help me? <laughs> um, so yeah, so I use, uh, yeah, I try and use all three as much as I can. Uh, I, I'm trying to do, uh, I do like uh, a Pilates live session on a Monday. So I put that out there just if any swimmers want to follow some of the movements that I do. Uh, I think it's normally 4 p.m. on a Monday and it's on my Instagram. Um, can anyone yeah, I'm just trying to that? use them. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> your live, yeah. Oh, awesome if you wanted to try it um so yeah I'm, I'm just trying to use the social media stuff to help out the sewing community as much as i can during this lockdown um so answering questions or trying to put up challenges uh to see if anybody you know has got a bit of spare time to test themselves uh and as i say every now and then i put up videos of me trying to train poppy <laughs> <laughs> i've been a enjoying bit everything <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, well, we'll let you go and uh, feed Poppy before your next appointment. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was really nice to speak to you, Hannah. And all the best. Uh, hope that you can get back in the water really soon and uh, stay safe.
Thank you. You too. Hope you guys are staying safe. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. Thank you very much. See you later. Cheers.